James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the awesome privilege this morning to share your word. Pray that you would speak through me, through your word, use me for your glory today, that the worship we've already begun here may continue. Honor you and bring you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, the tongue. Tongue, the tongue, the tongue. It's this tiny little organ that all of us have. They said that the average man weighs about 198 pounds. I don't know how they get an average because they're all different sizes and shapes of men, but just for reference, I weigh about 210. The tongue weighs about three ounces. Uh, about a few tenths of a pound. Two tenths, two and a half tenths of a pound or something like that. To have that statistic here later, but um, just thought we'd throw that out there right up front here. Um, I want to read you a little excerpt from a speech. If men wish to live, then they are forced to kill others. The entire struggle for survival is a conquest of the means of existence, which in turn 
results in the elimination of others from these same sources of substance. As long as there are people on the earth, there will be nations against nations, and they will be forced to protect their vital rights in the same way as, individual, as, as the individual is forced to protect his rights. One is either the hammer or the anvil. We confess that it is our purpose to prepare the German people again for the role of the hammer. We admit freely and openly that if our movement is victorious, we will be concerned day and night with the questions of how to produce the arms, armed forces which are forbidden, by, forbidden us by the peace treaty of Versailles. We solemnly confess that we will consider everyone a scoundrel who does not try day and night to fight to figure out a way to violate this treaty, for we have never recognized this treaty. We will take every step which strengthens our arms, which augments the number of forces, and which increases the strength of our people. We confess further that we will dash anyone to pieces that should dare hinder us in this undertaking. Our rights will be protected only when the German right is again supported by the point of the German dagger. You probably figured out who that speechwriter is by now. I'll get this thing right here in a second. Let me give you a little rundown of history here of Hitler. Nineteen nineteen, Hitler is sent by the military to spy on the German Workers' Party, and then he joins it. The next year, Hitler becomes increasingly important to the German Workers' Party thanks to his speeches. Nineteen twenty-one, the following year, Hitler is able to become chairman of his party, which is renamed the National Socialist German Workers' Party. In nineteen twenty-three, Hitler stages a failed coup. In 1924, he goes to prison for five months for the, this failed coup. While he's there, he begins work on his infamous book, Mein Kampf. In 1925, the following year, Hitler publishes Mein Kampf, a ranting exploration of what passes as his ideology. 1929, 10 years after he was sent to the German Workers' Party, Hitler delivers the speech that I just read, or read excerpt from in Munich. In 1933, Hitler becomes Chancellor of Germany. The following year, he merges the post of Chancellor and President and becomes the Supreme Leader of, the, of Nazi Germany. That's five years and about a decade and a half of him constantly preaching and teaching his ideology. Five years prior to September 1st, 1939, when Hitler leads Germany in the invasion of Poland, thus beginning World War II, which is still today the largest and most violent military conflict in human history. Listen to these stats. Nearly 15 million military personnel, and this is on both sides, lost their lives. Another 25 million were wounded in action. The civilians fared far worse, over 38 million over twice as many, almost two and a half times as many, were, were killed. Over six and a half million of them being Jews, which represented 63% of the Jewish population. Worldwide casualty estimates vary widely in several sources. And 
One source said the number of civilian deaths in China alone might well be more than 50 million. A lot of times they just didn't report these things. This doesn't account for all the families and the loved ones that were impacted by those that were killed and wounded or the survivors and their families that, that made it back. The death toll and wounded alone doesn't reflect the other myriad of atrocities that were committed during World War II. The tongue of just this one man, there have been others like him, produced words that inspired an entire nation to go to war and it changed the course of the world forever. That's the power of the tongue. I'm going to tell you, um, James jumps right in here, um, talking about teachers, those of us that sit or stand right up here, um, primarily, but not completely. And let me just say, I was going to tell you this at the beginning. I apologize for my hideous looking face. Um, don't worry, it's not contagious. I'm using chemo cream to kill off some precancerous stuff. And uh, it's basically eating the skin off my face. So um, you can't catch it, uh, but you got to look at it. So I apologize for that. <laughs> do anything wrong, but you got to look at it. I don't. So James jumped right in here. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 3. Let me just say, this is, this is not the first time James has spoken about the tongue. He mentions it a couple times in verse 1. He, he speaks about our speech, some in verse 2. You'll see it again in verse 4, or verse chapter 2. You'll see it again in chapter 4. You'll see it again in chapter 5. I think it was Ferguson Sinclair, Sinclair said there are about 50 um, different nuggets of teaching, or 50, 20, I'll get this all right here in a minute, 20 different nuggets of teaching on the tongue alone throughout the book of James. And he was only pulling one of those out of chapter 3. The rest of them are, are scattered throughout the other chapters. So right here in the middle of his, his message, James jumps in on the tongue. In verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, the, with greater strictness. This is a warning to would-be teachers and preachers of God's Word. It's a verse that always makes me kind of take pause when I'm asked to come up here and speak. If, uh, if my knees could knock, you would uh, be able to hear them in the background. Uh, it's a serious thing. And with it, it's a serious, it's a wonderful opportunity and privilege, but it comes with great responsibility. If you're going to stand up here or sit up here, before others and expound the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord, you better get it right. Because if I sit here and mislead you, you're, you're still responsible for your mistakes, for your sin. But if, it's, if you do it because you were misled by me, I'm responsible for misleading you and I'm also responsible, I would also give an account for how that caused you to fail. And if you in turn go and teach that to others, I'm responsible for that too. And so on. You see how quickly this can snowball. Just for saying the wrong thing. 2 Timothy. We're going to work with the slide guys here. And, and 
I've given them a lot to do today, so um, be gracious to them. Second Timothy 2, uh, 1 and 2 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul, Paul writes from a position of encouragement here, encouraging Timothy to use his tongue well, while James issues a warning. You got to think about it. Just got to remember when, when Paul and James are writing these letters, they didn't have a completed copy of the New Testament like we do. They couldn't look up the Greek um, numbers and, and get the definitions for everything I'm saying. They couldn't go online and listen to a myriad of sermons and, and uh, uh, in reference to what they were reading. We have all these resources. They didn't. So what they said when they wrote these letters, and, and again, they sent these letters in writing, but it's still their thoughts not coming out by the tongue, but by the pen. And really, we know, I hope we know that James isn't really talking about the tongue here. He's talking about our heart, our soul, that which is inside of us, which comes out through the tongue. We saw that this morning. What What is in, he read it in Proverbs, or one of many different places you can get it. He warns his son to keep his heart with all vigilance because from it flow the springs of life. So he's really talking about what we think, what we feel, what we believe. That comes out through the tongue. That comes out on paper. Comes out in, in many other ways. Comes out in what we type. Um, we, can, we can address all those things here together. It's really only been a few centuries since everyone has had this ready access to the scriptures. Up until probably the 1500s or so, um, people got their information from the preacher, from the teacher. So what that teacher taught was all that most people got. So what came out of the tongue carried a lot of weight. So, so why then the warning here in James? I mean, Paul wrote to Timothy that if anyone aspires to be an overseer, a preacher, he desires a noble task. We see it here in verse 2 of James. Because we all stumble, we all have the ability to get it wrong. James says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In chapter 1, James said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this man's perfect religion is worthless. Uh, maybe a more accurate word here for stumble would be sin, because that's what the word means. We all sin in many ways. And if anyone does not sin in what he says, he is a perfect man. James then says that if we could keep from messing up in the things that we say, we would be a perfect man. If he could just gain mastery over this tiny little organ 
in our body called the tongue. We can control our entire being forever. But we can't. He just said so we all stumble, we all sin. Even as believers, our tongues can get us into much trouble. There was, a, well, there was and is only one perfect man that didn't stumble in this area. And that was the God man. We strive to be like him. One day we will. We ain't there yet. Romans 3, 10, 12, 10 through 12 says, it is just written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. James says that teachers will be judged with greater strictness, but we all stumble when it comes to this little thing we call the tongue. What do I do that? I know it's this is what happens if you just late, late in the night. I lost the page. That was our first point. The tongue is dangerous. Second point, the tongue is diminutive. That means unusually small. We talked about how, how it compares in size to, to the rest of our body. James goes on then in chapter 3 then to, to, to really expound on this, to help us understand this, using some familiar things to the, to the Jewish people's things that they would have understood, things that I think we can still understand today. A lot of times the, the things like goads and, and oxen we don't really get, but I think we can get this, and I've got some illustrations here and some examples I think will help us do that. Verse Three says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we can guide their whole bodies as well. Even a tiny child can, can lead a 2,000 pound animal, a one ton animal, with a simple thing, with a simple little piece of metal called a bit that allows them to control the horse. You got it. Can you run that video up there? Check this out. I love this. Yeah. I believe that's fire. Also, chapter, verse 4, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Did a little research on cruise ships last night. The largest cruise liner that's in service right now is called the Wonder of the Seas. It's 1,188 feet long. That's just four yards short of four football fields. It has 18 decks and what they call neighborhoods, eight neighborhoods. Basically they have a little area set up. It's a whole, it's like our neighborhoods and each one's themed to different things. It weighs 
236,857 tons. That's 4.7 million pounds and some change. Now, that's kind of a hard number for me to wrap my hand around. So let me give you a, let me give you a comparison here. My truck, my big white crew cab, one-ton dually out here. Y'all know what my truck looks like. It's the one with big handy wheelchair boom. That truck weighs just a little under 7,000 pounds. It's about three and a half tons. The wonder of the seas is equal to 68,199 white pickup trucks. And a half, I forgot, and a half. So I don't know how, which half of my truck you're going to take, but 68,199 and a half, almost 68,200. And yet a ship that size, oh, I had, I had numbers for people. It can, it can hold 6,300 guests and 2,800 um, crew members. That's the population in 2021 than did last time, and Beckley is somewhere around 14,000. I can't remember, so I'll write it down here. Um, that cruise ship can take almost half of Beckley out at one time. That's something this thing is. And it's guided by this tiny little rudder. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James draws a comparison of these two tiny objects that direct much larger things to how the tongue sets the course of the entire person. Where the tongue goes, so to speak, there goes the whole person. Tongue is dangerous. The tongue is diminutive. I think it said diminutive. Diminutive. The tongue is also destructive. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James gives us five things here about the tongue. First, he says it's a fire. You know, it takes a small little spark to start a fire to burn a forest down. To burn an island down. We just had that big fire in Maui. Burnt entire cities, vaporized people. Burnt huge portions of that island. All started by a little spark from an electric wire. It's a world of unrighteousness. I'm not even going to go. I mean, I think we can get that from what it says. It stains the whole body. You ever see an attractive person? Somebody you think, man, that, 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 that's, that's a pretty good looking guy or a pretty good looking gal. Maybe you're thinking about that right now. You um, see, my tongue's already getting in trouble. Um, and, and they look beautiful until they open their mouth and begin to speak. And you begin to hear the words that come out of them. And sometimes it's the most vile thing. And suddenly, they're not so beautiful anymore. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the entire course of life. 
with our own words, we can destroy our entire life and many others, but ours specifically here. We can make boasts that we can't live up to. We can tell lies that we become entangled in. We can push away the very people that we love and that love us. And that's just scratching the surface because we don't have a lot of time to cover a lot of material. Um, but you get the idea. It is set on fire by hell. It is set on fire by hell. That's the fifth thing he tells us. Look, look with me at Genesis 3. We barely get into the first, the first book. Two chapters in, we, in, in chapter 3, we see our first example of this set on fire by hell. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than other beasts of the field that God, the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did, did God not actually say? The devil uses his tongue to twist the words that God had, had spoken to, the, to Adam and Eve to lead them into sin. And they do, and they sin, and God comes and questions them. And what does the man say? Verse 12 of Genesis chapter 3. With his tongue, the woman who whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the woman, the next verse, she says, using her tongue, what is this, or God says to her, what is this you have done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Again, the tongue is giving us a window into the inner person, into who that person is, what that person believes, what that person thinks. The tongue is defined. Point four. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. We can tame bears, we can tame lions, we can tame 14,000 pound elephants to stand on their back legs and do tricks. We can do whatever we want. We can train killer whales to do all kinds of things, all kinds of different tricks, let people ride on them. We can even make pets out of huge snakes, pythons and boa constrictors. We can make pets out of alligators. You know, there's these guys out there that'll train the alligator that, and they'll open its mouth and stick their head in there and let it close on their head and then take it out. And these are like 12, 14 foot alligators. I can stick in my head and no alligator in my head. I might give him a leg. <laughs> I, don't I don't see my head in there. <laughs> we can tame all this, but we can't. No human being, verse 8. Contain the tongue. Just put a pin in that for right now, because we're going to come back to it later. For right now, what I want everybody to do is I want you to stick out your tongue. Yeah, stick it out, hold it out, and reach up around and get a hold of that little thing. <laughs> it is a restless evil. You can let go of your tongue out, sorry. <laughs> You guys are obedient. 
is a restless evil. I'm going to give you, I don't, I don't think I put up the, 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 the Hebrew word or the Greek word for this up there, but restless, the, the word for that, and I'm going to say it because it's a cool word if I can say it this morning. It's akataskatos. Kind of a fun word. Akataskatos. It means, this is unrestrainable. It is unrestrainable evil. Talk about the tongue, our tongue, your tongue. My time. It's unrestrainable. Amen. And it's full of deadly poison. How many times have you said something to someone that you wish you hadn't said or wish you could take back? Amen. I could probably spend the rest of the day, probably the rest of the week, just going down the list of things that I've said that have hurt people. The poison that has come from my own tongue. And I bet there's not a person in here right now that can't think of something that somebody has said to them that they carry with them that affects them even today. Maybe something said years ago or decades ago. <coughs> Here's the worst part of it. Most of those things that I've said that I wish I could take back were to the people that I love the most. That I hurt, those are the ones that we tend to hurt the most with this little instrument called the tongue. And I bet, as I can, that you can recall things that people have said to you. Maybe both good and bad. We tend to remember the bad things, unfortunately, more than the good things. Maybe it's because we tend to say the bad things. And we and people say the bad things to us more than the good things. I can, I can tell you things from my childhood, word for word, that were said to me. And I still remember. But it's still come up. But still, that deadly poison is still in there. It doesn't go away. There is no anti-venom, anti-venom for this poison that comes out of the tongue. Words come out and they're forever. They never go away. And how cavalier we are sometimes with our words. Sometimes my daughters or sometimes my wife, somebody I care about, will come up to me and say something or remind me of something that I've said to them that was hurtful and I can't even remember I said it but it's still in there standards. the tongue is full of deadly poison the tongue is dangerous it's diminutive it's destructive, it's defiant, we can't control it. The tongue is divided. By the old cowboy movies. First thing the Indians would say about the white man was that he speaketh with forked tongue. The tongue is divided. James says, with it, in, in verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This verse usually comes to my mind 
when I'm in traffic and somebody does something that I don't like and I talk about how terrible their driving is or talk about how stupid they are, call them a name. Then I see the bumper sticker and it says, Jesus loves you. Yeah. And I think that very well could be a brother in Christ. And I have just, and it doesn't matter if it is or isn't, it's still a human being made in the image of God. And, 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 and God said he created them, I think it was in Genesis 127, he created them in his own image, in the image of God created he them, male and female created, or him, male and female created he them. When we curse someone, because we curse people, maybe as soon as we curse someone, let me, let me pause here for a minute and talk about the word curse, because it doesn't mean you have to use one of those little four-letter words to cuss somebody out. Jesus said in Matthew 5.25, listen to this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool. Maybe that's something that I might say about somebody who just cut me off and almost caused an accident. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So when we curse someone, what we're really doing is we're cursing the image of God. Think about this. If you see a picture of me and you make fun of what I look like or you start talking about how bad a person I am and that image, um, you're not talking about that little three by five piece of paper or that image on the screen. You're talking about me. You're insulting me. So when we insult, when we curse someone made in God's image, we're cursing the one who made it. Yeah. The image bearer transfers it directly to God. So when that person cuts me off and I say, you fool, you almost caused a wreck. I'm going to say, God, you forgive me for saying this because it doesn't even sound right coming out. mouth. You fool for creating, you're a fool for creating that person. We bless our Lord and Father, and we curse the people who are made in His image. Verse 10, he says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James is not just saying we shouldn't do this. Kind of sounds like a huge understatement, but when you dig in to the, to the original language, what he's saying is this is unnatural. It shouldn't even be possible for us to bless God and curse His people made in His image out of the same mouth. We know that because when we look at the next two verses, it's interesting, much like Jesus, James used these things that are commonly understood by the first century Jews. He likes to give analogies. Um, in comparison, and he, he does so in, in verses 11 and 12, he says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? 
don't really need to answer that question because the obvious answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It ought not be so. It, ought, it's, it shouldn't be possible for us to have this divided tongue. But we do. I'm going to leave those two verses there. I'm not going to do a lot with them this morning. I want to have a few minutes here to address the end of this chapter. James kind of takes a turn here um, and begins to speak about wisdom from above. Um, not really changing the topic because we need this wisdom from above if we're going to control this little thing we call the tongue or if we're going to control this inner person that controls the tongue. Um, James, we've already talked, said it in previous couple weeks. Bob did a great job in chapter one. Then Will came in and hit it out of the park last week with chapter two and set me up to jump in here and tackle this thing called the tongue with a big warning up front about getting up here and talking and, and setting me up for something. Um, but I, I gotta tell you, this is probably, this message is probably for me more than anybody else in this room. So when I found out I was preaching on this, I just kind of chuckled. Because I thought, yeah, okay, God, you do have a sense of humor. Um, but James is very practical in his teaching. Um, and he uses practical things as he, as he talks about our behavior. So now he, he shifts gears here and begins to talk about wisdom that comes from above. Verse 13, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There's a couple words here we need to dig out. Um, the first word here is wise. And I don't know how these slides are going to work out here, what they got, but I'll run through it and if they can keep up and get the right slides up there, great. Oh, they did it. And yeah, I'll make a slide. That'll work. Um, the Greek here for the word wise is sophos. And it means wise. Now I hate it when they define the word with the word. That's really getting a lot. But it says it says to look at um, water. It says to look at another Greek word, which is phronimos, or phronimos, yeah, which is a little more helpful. It says that um, it means it's thoughtful or, or that is Saint Sagacious, Saint Jesus. There we go. Or discreet, implying a caution character, practical skill, or acumen. Okay, that might have a little bit, but I'm just going to get really, I had to look up a couple words here to figure out what they meant so I can understand what Fronimos meant. Sejacius, I've never heard of this word before, means having or showing keen mental discernment and good judgment, being shrewd. Acumen means the ability to make good judgments and quick decisions. So out of that, this is my best, best effort to kind of boil, put all that together and boil it down to give the definition for the word wise. My definition based on that would be having or showing keen mental discernment and the ability to make good judgment. 
And with that word, with that word, we have further down in the verse the word wisdom, and, and it basically comes from the same word. Uh, the word wise is sophos. The word wisdom is sophia. It's probably sophia, I think is how you pronounce it. But the word um, is sophia, which I thought was interesting because we have a sophia right down the road. Um, so it means wisdom. Um, the definition for Sophia, wisdom. Um, but here's here's an important part of this, and I'll have that up there. Um, it's higher or lower. It's talking about wisdom. Wisdom is higher or lower, worldly or spiritual. So wisdom can mean two different two different things here. Um, I'd say in this verse, who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his in the meekness. Show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I'd say that's the higher one. Um, the, the spiritual, not the worldly. And we'll see that as he defines this and, and breaks us all down here in the next couple of verses. Um, but also, there's another word here we need to look at, and that's the word understanding. And understanding is, the definition is, is basically intelligence. And so let me point out the difference here between wisdom and understanding, because he says, well, if you're wise and you have wisdom, and he also says understanding. Um, the King James interprets this um, as knowledge. Knowledge, wisdom, intelligence, those are things that can be taught. Those are things that we can learn. Wisdom, wisdom, however, is bestowed on us either from God wisdom that comes from above or from the world from our culture from our society Paul exhorts Timothy um, in 2 Timothy 2.15 and I did this in the King James because that's how I remember it um, from many, many years working in Iwana, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study. You might be a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes some study to understand this book. And we can do that. And we couple that study with wisdom from God. And it gives us the ability to rightly divide the word of truth. So we have godly wisdom. We also have worldly wisdom that comes from above or from below. And that can be from the culture, society, the world, perhaps even the devil himself. These days it seems like we're just all making up our own wisdom. We've decided that men can become women, and women can decide they're not women and they're men. We've decided that we can just change all that. We've decided that it's okay to kill babies, and a lot of other things. Don't get too political we're going too much, but we've got a world out there full of people led and directed by worldly wisdom. Paul in Romans chapter 1 Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the earthly wisdom, the carnal wisdom. Uh, another word, meekness. Meekness really means mildness or humility. So the big takeaway from this verse is, if you have wisdom from above, coupled with knowledge, it will be evident in the way you behave, the good conduct, and it will be demonstrated with a healthy dose of humility. Now, here comes the contrast between the two types of wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We have that slide, the wisdom from above versus the earthly wisdom. Yeah. So there's just all those words out there just to kind of give you a, uh, a look at the two lists. Um, I'm not going to go through those. You can see them up there. You can go read them later for yourself. But it reminded me of a couple other lists um, that are found in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is that word that they use over there, every vile, what is it, every vile practice. So it covers everything. And here's a list of, a lot of them are the same. So you can see some similarities here. Um, Paul adds some. The works of the flesh, the things that come through worldly wisdom are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, verse 21, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He missed any. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So people who are led by worldly wisdom. But the fruit of the Spirit, those that are led by wisdom from above, is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can probably tie about half of those right in directly with the list that James gave. Some of them are different, but they all come from the same place. Then James wraps up the chapter with verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This verse gave me fits. I had a hard time wrapping my mind around what he's saying here and how he says it. I've read a bunch of different, what a bunch of different people say that. I listened to sermons. I looked up all the words in the original language. Um, I just couldn't, couldn't quite get it. So... It just, it's just joining me. So this is my best understanding of it. And if you can help me understand it better, that would be great. But my best understanding of it is the results of a peaceable life lived by the wisdom from above is a harvest of righteousness. In contrast to something that James said in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, for the anger of man 
that that's produced by earthly wisdom. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This harvest of righteousness, one commentator said that, um, it's hard to tell if it's, if it's sown in peace by those who make peace or for those who make peace. He said either way, it's generated in peace, it's received in peace, it's kept in peace, and it results in a harvest of righteousness. That was his definition of it. So that brings us to application. Now I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to give you three T's. Jason likes to give us T's, or give us letters. And so I'm going to give you three T's. Three T's are teach, train, tame, and I can't remember my other T's, and testimony. Teach, tame, and testimony. Teach. Teach. If you're going to teach, teach well. If you're going to preach the Word of God, be sure you're doing it accurately. Because if you do, you will be held accountable for it. And what you say may, like I said earlier, be rippled through generations upon generations and continue until Christ returns. The results of things that Hitler said are still being felt. There's still people who believe some of that and follow that teaching, even today, and they're teaching it to other people. You might say, okay, then, well, I just won't teach. <laughs> That's the simple solution there, right? That's what I said there, I just won't preach. Nope. Ain't getting off that easy. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Verse 19, go therefore make disciples, and Jason's done a very good job of um, helping us Understand that that's the verb in this passage. Make disciples of all nations. You've got to teach them to make them into disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you tell you even right there to teach them. That's how you're going to make disciples of them. And that's a command for everybody. And for all you fellow parents out there, we got Deuteronomy. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your hearts and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fronts between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. You should be teaching your kids. You should be putting it out there so other people see what you've written up there on your doorpost. You're kind of what you're showing out there to the world is your testimony, um, what you believe, and you're going to give an account to that. And, and I threw in Matthew 5:16. Uh, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That might be a stretch for teaching, but we're told to represent as Christ bearers 
ones that bear God's image and claim his name, we're told to represent that to the world so that God might get the glory. Again, we're, we're, we're talking about what's in here. And it comes out in a lot of different ways. And that's what we're speaking to the world of who we are. We need, to, we need to teach. And we need to teach well. We need to tame. We must tame our tongues. And really, we're not just talking about the tongue here. Like I said, it's that window into our soul of who we are. That applies to every form of communication. It applies to what we type on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, which is now X, WhatsApp, or whatever else the kids are using these days. Those, we're speaking when we're sending that out there. And a lot of people seem to forget that in our culture. They think they can just say anything and, it, and there's no repercussions for that. And they, people become just terrible, for lack of a better word. They say things that they wouldn't say face to face and they destroy people for no reason whatsoever. Don't do that. Don't do that. Tame your tongue. Sometimes controlling our tongue means that we actually do say something. That we speak the truth rather than just sit there and be silent. Paul says in first, or Peter says in 1 Peter 3, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And he adds, with gentleness and respect. That meekness. Again, um, we we need to sometimes speak up um, and use our tongue to share the good news with others. And let me let me just throw this in here real quick. And I'm going to hurry. Um, we should also consider the things that we allow our tongues to speak to ourselves. Amen. We can. It can destroy ourselves, like I said earlier. Things like, I'm not worthy. And in one sense, we're not worthy of, we're sinners. Um, we don't deserve God's grace, but he gives it to us freely anyway. But the fact that he loves us enough, his love makes us worthy. So through him, then we are worthy, but we tell ourselves we're not worthy. We tell ourselves I'm not lovable. My life is worthless. Our whole host of other lies, we can tell ourselves. If we could stop doing that, we could cut Jason's workload in half at the, at the counseling center, or more maybe, of just stopping the lies that we tell ourselves, not to mention the things that we say to other people that destroy them. But wait, remember I told you to put a pin back in verse 8 where it says no man can tame the tongue. I'm telling you here, tame the tongue. And verse 8 says no man can do that. And it's correct. James said no man can tame the tongue. Let me say anything about God who with all things are possible 
Philippians 4, we probably all know that. I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. And I love Romans 12, first two verses of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And, and, and really, there's a lot of controversy between what Paul and James, or not a lot, but some people see controversy between what James and Paul say about works of faith. I mean, Will did a great job of showing us that there is no conflict there whatsoever. Paul says in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He wraps up everything that James says that we ought to be um, in that word, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't live by earthly wisdom. But be transformed. And here's, here's the focal point of these, these two verses. By the renewing of your mind. We can't tame our tongues. But through Christ, we can be transformed. And our mind can be renewed. And that's what it takes to be able to tame the tongue. And this is a good place here to, to point out that this transformation that Paul talks about here only takes place through the process of regeneration. If you've never been reborn by the power of God through Christ, you don't have access to the wisdom from above. You only have available to you earthly wisdom. And we saw where that leads. You're still dead in your sins. And you're not able to be transformed. The good news is you can be. There's a lot of people here we're going to talk about that. Share with you if that's, if that's your need. Um, but without it, we don't have access to the wisdom from above. And the last tea I'm going to give you is testimony. What does your testimony reveal about you? Does it show that you're governed by wisdom that comes from above? Does it show that you're guided by earthly wisdom? The wisdom of the world. After evaluating yourself, you find that you don't like that answer. There's two things. What James said in chapter 1. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it, all, gives it to all liberally and with no reproach, and it shall be given to you. A couple caveats. Again, this is written to believers. If you're not redeemed child of God, this doesn't apply to you. You can't ask for that wisdom. And two, James isn't prescribing the way to get saved here. He's laying out what the saved life looks like, what the life of a saved person looks like. If you do these things, he's not, he isn't saying if you do these things, God will save you. He's saying if God has saved you, these are the things you do. But suppose you're thinking to yourself, um, I'm saved. I've prayed the prayer. 
But my life looks more like that list that you described of the earthly wisdom. I'd say you have some soul searching to do. Because there's one of two things I think going on there. One is you are a believer and you're fighting against God. And you're still holding on to that earthly wisdom, still trying to live by it. And if you're fighting with God, you'll know it. You won't have any peace. The other thing is, you're not saved. Your faith is not in Christ. You're still in need of a Savior. You still have a dead faith. But he is still available. And there's plenty of people here that would like to share that with you. If that's where you're at. So train for teaching. A lot of P's are used. Tame the tongue. Do the power that comes from above, that comes from God, that's only available to believers. So there's a pathway there for everybody. If you're not a believer, you can become one. If you are a believer, you have access to that wisdom. You only need to ask is what James told us in chapter 1. That our testimony might show forth to the world and bring glory to God. That's, that's what James is calling us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the struggle to put this message together, for how you used it to speak to my heart. Let even through that, the wisdom from above shape me into that person who does have control by your power over the things I say, over the way I treat people, over who I am, for your glory. And I pray that as well for all of us here today, that Father, we would use our lives, use our tongues for glory to you, for good to others, not to tear down and destroy. Amen. Sorry I didn't have you all stand, but you know what? I don't get to stand either. But why don't you stand now for the doxology. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but that has now been disclosed and due to prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring forth or to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay in here with us.